Heavenly Father, we long for that day when Christ shall come again. Lord, we long for every wrong in this world to be righted. Lord, we long for that day when we will no longer doubt that that day is coming. We long for that day so much. Help us this evening to fix our eyes on Christ and to fix our eyes on the certainty that he is coming again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please take your seats. Well, I wonder what makes your mouth water and your stomach grumble? What is the food that you hunger and long for? Uh, For me, it's shiradashi pork belly, a good stone-baked pizza, or a beautiful roast dinner. But what is it for you? What what are the meals that haunt you, the, the ones that you wish you could go back and relive? What meals do you find yourself craving and looking forward to? What meals can make you say, today was a good food day? We all long and hunger for food. Uh, And as humans, we, we often use this language of food and desire to describe what we want to get out of life too. Uh, We long for justice and joy. Uh, We hunger for peace, progress and prosperity. We crave love and times of laughing. But I wonder, can you remember the last time that you longed for the Lord to return in such a way that it caused your mouth to salivate? When was the last time that your thoughts of the Lord Jesus' return, the ushering in of his new creation, led your mouth to physically water? As we spend some time in tonight's passage, we're going to read a description of God's new creation from the book of Isaiah, a prophet from the Old Testament. And I think it's a description that each of us in this room craves, uh, hungers and longs for because it's a description of God bringing his people into his kingdom, a place of perfect justice and perfect joy, a place where the curses of Genesis 3 that spoil this world have been undone, a place where the heavens and the earth are brought together and recreated to be a place where God will live and dwell with his people forever. My hope and aim for this evening is to help us to taste and see that the Lord is good, uh, to get our mouths watering for this day from Isaiah 25, and to help us to be those who look forward to and long for the Lord to return. But also to consider where this passage bites. Because our passage may reveal where we have gotten so fat and comfortable living in the world of the present that going to join the Lord in his heavenly banquet, well, it's become more of an after-dinner mint to us rather than the main course itself. As our passage helps us to taste and see that the Lord is good and as it forces us to examine the way that we live our lives in light of what God has planned for the future, I hope it will help us to be able to say and believe more along with the Apostle Paul that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That to depart and be with Christ really is better by far. And that as we spend some time reading the beginning of the end of the story, 
It will shape how we each play our part now in God's great narrative for all of creation. Three points tonight. Point one, a longing for justice. From the little things to the large, each of us in this room longs for justice. From something as trivial as the contentious VAR decision to the seriousness of what we've been thinking about, Vladimir Putin's actions in Ukraine. Each of us has an innate desire for all that is wrong in this world to be made right again, for all the injustice to be held to account. To steal a phrase that I heard at one of the Christian Union events weeks, the wonderful news that we see at the start of Isaiah 25 is that all the suffering in this world, all of the injustice, it comes with an expiry date. Look down with me at verse 1 to 5 of Isaiah 25. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name for in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things. Things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble. At the fortified town, a ruin. The foreigner's stronghold, a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor. A refuge for the needy in their distress. A shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud so the song of the ruthless is stilled. With the horrors of the earthquakes that have taken place in Turkey and Syria may be fresh in our minds, these words might not read immediately like good news to us. Cities that have been turned to rubble, foreigners whose towns are now in ruins. Aren't these verses just a description of more of the same injustice and suffering continuing? But as we read these verses in the context of the book of Isaiah, we see that they come with the promise of good news because they describe the destruction of all the enemies of God's people. Egypt, Moab, Assyria, Babylon, these verses are a promise that when God's king, Emmanuel, comes, he will bring judgments on all of God's enemies so that in verse 1, Isaiah and all of God's people with him will be able to praise him for all of the wonderful things that he has done. Verse 2 shows that when the Lord's judgment falls, this city of injustice and evil that God's enemies have constructed will never be rebuilt. Verse 3 describes how on that day, these strong peoples who were opposed to the Lord and who oppressed his people will become those who bow the knee honouring and revering God in light of his superior power. And verse 4 and 5 describe how the poor, the needy, the oppressed who have taken shelter in the Lord will find permanent protection and peace as the Lord silences all rebellion against him and his people. On that day, justice will fall. 
but you may be very understandably wondering to yourself, why on that day? Why not today? If God is really a good God who loves justice, hates evil, why does he not bring justice right now? All the horrible headlines we've read in the news this week, all the corruption and injustice, all the suffering and pain, why doesn't God do something about it now before it gets any worse than it already has done? And the answer that we read in the Bible is that God could. He could rid the world of all its injustice, all of its evil right away. But if he did, then it would mean game over for me and for you. We're also aware of the evil and injustice that goes on out there, and we rightly want it to be brought to an end. But if God were to bring his justice now, he'd also have to sort out all of the evil and injustice that goes on in here. Because if we're all honest with ourselves, if we each examine our own lives, thoughts, hearts, then we know that in some way each of us has contributed to the sin the pain and the injustice that has spoilt our world. If justice were to fall, each of us in this room would be declared guilty. And yet the wonderful news in the gospel is that because God the Father loved the world so much, instead of bringing judgment now, he's patiently delayed it, at choosing instead to send his son, the Lord Jesus, into the world so that all who repent, all who believe in him, might be forgiven for their contribution to the brokenness of this world. So that Jesus might take the punishment that each of us deserves in our place. The reason God doesn't bring this final justice that we've read about in Isaiah 25 now is so that day by day, more and more people like you and me might come and be saved as we repent and believe in Christ. So let me say, if if you're not a Christian here tonight, you have an urgent choice. Judgment can fall on you on that day. Or if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, then judgment can justly fall on him instead. Apart from Christ, each of us deserves the judgment we read about in these verses as those who have rebelled against our maker. But in Christ, God's judgment has been poured out on him in our place so that all who have faith in him might go free. And for those of us who have put our trust in Christ, those of us who do follow him, this knowledge of future justice It gives us great confidence in the Lord's goodness and it provides a wonderful antidote to revenge. Knowing that one day justice will be done helps those of us, uh, helps us to be those who speak up and stand for justice in this world now because we serve a God of justice. But it also enables us to be those who don't seek revenge Because we have certainty that one day every wrong will be righted. That everyone, whether they face justice in this life or not, will have to stand before a holy judge to answer for their crimes. On that day when everyone stands before the judge and receives their sentence, our longing for justice will be satisfied. 
And everyone will be able to go away saying, I got exactly what I deserved. Justice really has been done. Point one, a longing for justice. Point two, a craving for joy. As followers of Jesus, we've seen that we have the certain promise that one day our world will be rid of all that spoils it. There'll be no more sin, suffering or injustice. But God's promises don't end there. Because when he returns and brings us to be with him, we're not going to be those who taste and see that the Lord is neutral. We're going to be those who taste and see that the Lord is good as our craving for joy is met. Look down with me at verses 6 to 9. Some of my favourite verses in all the scripture. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Whilst renovating our house last summer, I was excited to find a beautiful bottle of 17-year-old Le Chasse du Pape Reserve that had been left there by the previous owner. I was so excited because I had never drank a bottle of wine from so long ago, but I messaged some friends to come over and share in the enjoyment of this aged wine. My first signs of nervousness crept in as I poured the wine into a carafe. Google said that would let the wine breathe whatever that means. Uh, but as I poured it into the bottle, there were quite a few hard bits pouring out with it. Uh, and as we all had a sip around the table that evening, I learned that just because wine is old, it does not mean that it is good. Uh, unless you like your wine with bitter vinegary notes and a slightly chewy texture, that is. Well, God's kingdom is going to be a place where there is no more suffering and injustice, but it is also going to be a place of great feasting and laughing and joy. And what we read in verses 6 to 9 is a description of a beautiful heavenly banquet, a table laid and prepared for us by the Lord himself, a feast of rich food and aged wine from his kitchen, a table complete with the best of meats, and the finest of wines. No 17-year-old Le Chasse du Pape Reserve in sight. These verses are the ultimate picture of joy. Whatever foods you pictured at the beginning of our time together that make your mouth water, your stomach grumble, they're all present. The guest list spans and includes people from all nations. And to top it all off, that great enemy of joy, death, will be chewed up and swallowed up 
forever. This will be a feast and a joy that will never end. A feast where we are able to taste and see that the Lord is good for all eternity. Just over a week ago, my grandparents moved into care. But before they did, my granddad gave me two beautiful typewritten letters written by his dad, my great-granddad Frank. One written when Frank's wife, Lily, died of a long illness at 69 years old. And the other on the occasion of the death of his daughter, Florence Ruth, when she died during an operation to remove a cancerous tumour at just 14 years old. Despite the sorrow and the pain of losing his daughter and then his wife, despite death robbing him of so much joy in this life, listen to these words that Frank was able to write. And now she is no longer with us. But let us be quite clear about this that though her frail body has died, she has entered into that larger and fuller life, which is promised to those who put their trust in the Saviour. Those of us who remain have the sure and certain hope, based on the promises of the Lord Jesus, that when he comes again, we shall be all reunited. Because of their trust in the Lord Jesus as their saviour, Florence Ruth, then Lily, and now Frank himself are all reunited with each other and with the Lord, feasting around his heavenly banquet table, able to speak the words of verse 9, surely this is our God's. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Don't we long for this? Don't we crave this kind of happily ever after? And yet for all who trust in Jesus, this is no fairy tale. This is a certain reality because of what he has done. Our cravings for joy will be met guaranteed for us because of Christ's death and resurrection. Finally, point three, a diet to consider. For followers of Jesus, we've seen that our longing for justice, our craving for joy will be met in the Lord Jesus and will one day be fully realized when he returns. And the final verses of our passage invite us to consider our present response to our knowledge of this future day. Look down with me at verses 9 to 12. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. But Moab will be trampled in their land as straw is trampled down in the manure. They will stretch out their hands in it as swimmers stretch out their hands to swim. God will bring down their pride despite the cleverness of their hands. He will bring down your high fortified walls and lay them low. He will bring them down to the ground 
to the very dust. In the film Back to the Future 2, a character called Biff is given a sports almanac from the future, a calendar that contains all of the sporting results from the year 1950 to the year 2000. He's given this calendar on November 12th, 1955, and he's told that if he always bets according to what this almanac says, he will never lose. He'll become rich beyond his wildest dreams. His certain knowledge of what's to come informed the decisions he was able to make in the present. A friend once used this as an illustration, encouraging us to bet on the church. Arguing that if we are uh, arguing that if in Christ we are certain of what the future holds, then it's not really gambling to put all of our chips on Christ at all. If as Christians we know that this day from Isaiah 25 is coming, where God's hand will be with his people on his holy mountain Zion, whilst his foot will crush those who proudly oppose and stand against him. If we know that we have trusted in Christ and our future is secure and certain, well, it frees us to make big, bold decisions now in light of what is to come. So let me ask you to consider what might it look like for you to live in the certainty of the gospel this week? What would it look like for us to care more about saving our appetites for the feast that is to come rather than stuffing in as much as we can in the here and now? Perhaps this will help you in the battle against sin, at helping you to combat thoughts of bitterness or revenge, even enabling you to take steps forward on the path to forgiveness because you know that justice is coming. Maybe fixing your eyes on this future day will help you in the battle against lust, helping you to trust that the joy of the heavenly banquet where every desire will be satisfied is worth waiting for rather than trying to fabricate joy now by what you watch on your smartphone. Or could living in light of this future day look like using your money differently? When I was a student, there were several people at my church who had decided that any money they earned after a certain threshold, they would give to the church. Because they wanted to invest their money in building God's kingdom, rather than their own. They preferred to see more people join them at this heavenly feast rather than to stock up more possessions in their home. What would it look like for you to invest sacrificially in that future day rather than investing in temporary comfort now? When I was a student, we were encouraged to buy one less cup of coffee per week and instead, give that money to the church so that more people could hear about the good news of Jesus, both at the church and around the world. Could you make that a habit of yours, even this week, and see what God will do to build his kingdom with that £3.20 a week? 
maybe you've reviewed your giving quite recently, and instead where this passage begins to bite is in relation to your time, your priorities. Maybe your approach to coming to Cornerstone, Cornerstone so far has been as a consumer, and you need to start thinking about how you can begin to partner with us in our work of making disciples of Jesus Christ here in Nottingham, all nations and the next generation. Talk to me or someone wearing a purple lanyard after the service and we'll talk to you about where we have significant need in the church family and where we need you and the gifts that God has given you. Or maybe you're already serving in big and costly ways or you know that you don't have the capacity or the energy that you used to. And I don't want to heap greater burdens on you than you can bear. So instead, could you pray Matthew 9, 38 this week. Ask God to raise up more workers for his harvest field. Or maybe you sense the Lord's call to forego comfort now because you know there is a feast coming. And you're seriously considering the need to plant or revitalize in this city so that more people might know of what Christ has come to do. Even if that means joining a smaller church in a less affluent part of the city. Perhaps you sense the Lord's call to proclaim this heavenly banquet to a world that needs to hear. And for you, putting your all on Jesus looks like following Ruth's example by becoming part of our next generation of mission partners, serving the Lord around the globe, making him known in every corner of the planet even when that means life can be hard and dark. The applications of living now in the certainty of the future that is to come, that Christ has guaranteed for us, it's endless. We could be here all night. And so let me encourage you, maybe after the service, over a cup of tea or coffee, to seriously talk and pray about what it would look like to bet your entire life on Jesus as we help one another to consider our earthly diets. Whatever it looks like for you this week, Isaiah 25 reminds us that as followers of Jesus, we don't need to be those who nibble away on wafer-thin ham of this world when we can smell the tender steak being prepared for us in the other room. As those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. As those who know that this heavenly banquet is coming on God's holy mountain where justice and joy will flow forevermore. We can be those who follow in the Lord Jesus' footsteps and choose to put his words from Mark 8, 34 to 35 into practice. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Let's close our time in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, Thank you that our future in your heavenly banquet, where justice and joy will flow forever, 
is secure and certain. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of what your son, Jesus Christ, has done for us. Help us to fix our eyes on that day, to be those who hunger and long for it, and to live each day that you give us in light of what is to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.